You're listening to Radio Mayapur with the best devotional, meditation, kirtan music, and inspirational podcast. This is Radio Mayapur. Today we are very, very fortunate to have with us His Holiness Chandra Mali Swami Maharaj, who is uh, basically from America, his body, but he's preaching all over the world. And uh, he is uh, is the minister for the prison preaching. Yeah. And he's 75 years old. He was based in Chicago before. And he got initiated in 1973. So, Mara, tell us how you can inspire, how you came in contact with Christian consciousness at the time in Chicago, the land of mafia and violence. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it goes back before that okay. when I was... I first connected with Krishna Consciousness in New Vrindavan. Mm-hmm. That was in uh, 1973. So I stayed at the New Vrindavan community, farm community, for about 20 years to, till about 1993. Spending most of my time there doing, uh, well, at the beginning, I started to do work with uh, the milk, making butter, churning <laughs> butter, <laughs> nice. more like... Mother Yasoda's type of uh, mood. <laughs> Wonderful. And that was the beginning. And then from there I went to uh, cooking. And then as I was a regular cook, we had a brahmachari ashram that was separate from the re- main ashram, where which was about two miles from the main ashram. was where um, a group of about 30 to 35 brahmacharis lived. And uh, at that time we were building Srila Prabhupada's palace of gold. Beautiful. And then most of the work came from the brahmacharis. So at that time, I was doing cooking and also deity worship. And uh, after some time, then uh, I got this strong desire to to preach. (laughs) Nice. So then because of that, somehow Krishna facilitated me to uh, get involved with preaching in some of the local cities in America. Started off with Cleveland, Cincinnati, Ohio, um, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, these are the most the main areas like that around New Vrindavan. But who was the person when you first met, or the book you got, or Prashadam? I don't know who was the first connection well, that goes, you got. That goes back to Denver in 1972. Okay. Living a little bit of a free life. <laughs> yes, everybody was at the time. <laughs> yeah, I met some people who invited me to come to the temple, and I went and uh, didn't know what, what it was, but I liked the atmosphere. I liked the prasadam. <laughs> took me a little while to get used to it because I was living in a very simple, kind of like uh, brown rice and, uh, and uh, tofu and... Kind of like a very austere diet. Healthy but, food. Yeah, that was, that was the, the mood in those days. Yes. Learning various, reading just various kinds of books, trying to find myself in some place in life. And then uh, I came, when I met the devotees, I really was inspired by the whole thing, and I started to ask a lot of questions, and my answers, the answers that were given to me were the most amazing. And uh, one thing led to the other. I'm originally from the New York area, New York, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So after some time, I returned to that area, and then I connected with the New York Temple, nice. which was one of the, the most uh, vibrant temples in that time. In, yeah. And I was on Henry Street. Many, many 
wonderful devotees who had done so many uh, big projects for Srila Prabhupada, you know, started in that particular temple. Um, I stayed there for a little while, and then um, uh, I met the pre president of Nubrandavan. He came to the New York temple for one Sunday program, and we talked, and I got inspired to uh, go to Nubrandavan from then. I made good friends with who is now known as Devamrit Swami. Yes. We were both kind of like new people coming to the temple. We we inspired each other, and he encouraged me to uh, look deeper into this New Vrindavan thing. We had made plans to go together, but somehow or other, he decided at the last minute to stay in New York. <laughs> so, uh, But I went. And then, uh, yeah, then uh, I stayed in New Vrindavan from 1973 to 1993, um, took sannyas 1986, left Nubandav around that time and went to Cincinnati, Ohio to preach. But I was also very much, that was considered a satellite temple of Nubandav at that time, so I was connected there. And then uh, I was preaching in Cincinnati and then uh, Cleveland. Columbus, a few other places around the area, and then what happened was uh, around, uh, yeah, then uh, um, it was Radhanath Swami Maharaj at the time. We were, we had joined together in Nubrandavan. So um, he had asked me that there was some need to go to Chicago at the time. The, the temple president was looking for some support, so he asked me to go, and I thought, all right, why not? And that's when I began preaching full-time. I stayed in Chicago doing programs uh, in the congregation and in the temple. Um, that was around, that was 1995 to 2012. And from there, I, I during those times, I was also traveling. I was going to the Balkans, Croatia, Slovenia, uh, Italy also, um, of course, the UK, and other places around Europe, Spain, spent a lot of time there. And then uh, I got more or less more connected to Croatia, and I started to preach there. And that's around the same time, well, of course, it was even before then, I was given the opportunity to take on disciples. Nice, wonderful. And that's where they, most of the people came from, from that area. So I started to kind of base myself out of that area. But how you get involved or interested in doing preaching to the prisoners uh, with oh. people who are... Uh, you know, in general, when we preach, we preach to people and we say, okay, this material world is a prison house, but... It's a prison house inside the prison house. So right, right. And people are stuck there. I've been doing also some uh, preaching in the jail when I was in Chennai and different places. And actually people that are very receptive because they have no place to go. And Yeah, they're open. And they're interested in learning something new and kind of breaking their jail life monotony. So whoever comes in there, they, they, they take an interest. But how many actually become fixed in Krishna consciousness is a small percentage of the people we of actually course, contact. Of course, But mm, that also came earlier, even back in the, the late 80s, in 1989 and 1990. 
um, one of our devotees in New Vrindavan went to jail. <laughs> oh, I see. So we had a jail, which was just in the local city, Moundsville, West Virginia. So we were visiting him occasionally, and we would also bring in devotees and have kirtan and have a little discussion. So I started getting interested in that whole idea of jail preaching from this particular situation. And then I met one devotee online uh, or through, through the Internet, Name was Chandrasekhar, also a Prabhupada disciple, and he had he had already established jail preaching around the America, which consisted mostly of writing letters and sending in Prabhupada's books. But we were also going in and doing programs when we could. We would make our bid to get in. Of course, American jails are tough; <laughs> so many restrictions, requirements, and all kinds of profiles you have to. Live up to in order to be able to go in, but we had some success, and I started visiting certain inmates to who I had been writing writing for a while. But it was Prabhupada's books that really were inspiring people to take up Krishna consciousness. So we started a big program of uh, putting books into prisons as much as we could, sending out books, and then more and more people got involved. And uh, pretty soon we had a little group of devotees who were regularly doing that in different places around America. But then when I was in, uh, in the Balkans area, especially Croatia and Slovenia, we also started preaching there. And we found the jails were much more easier to get yes. into. Less restrictions and even the jail authorities would even advertise us coming in and they would invite the inmate population to join our program. Because they, they, they saw that it was a, a way to help the inmates, something spiritual, something philosophical. So, something beneficial for all of them. Yeah, yeah, they had that. And so we, we were quite successful in that area, so much so that we got all of Prabhupada's books in every jail in, in Croatia. Nice. Wonderful. Yeah, we got some, some uh, what we say, uh, Confirmations from people who had some, you know, positions in in the in the uh, state administration, and they liked us, so they gave us permission to send in the books. So we've been doing that, but now I've been preaching more in the UK. There's a, two devotees are actually here today. I met them, who really opened up the whole UK preaching. So we, uh, just before the lockdown came in the beginning of uh, 2020, I was doing jail preachings practically every week, one after another in different places all over the UK. And the reception is nice. People come and we give a very simple, you know, explanation of the philosophy, mostly centered around chanting the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, and trying to let them understand that although they are physically locked up, they don't have to be locked up in their, in their minds. Yeah, they can be, their spirit can be free right. if they, uh, they actually t- take to a spiritual practice. And so we use that topic as a way to really inspire you know, people who are in jail, give them some confidence that, hey, although I want to get out, although I'm, I'm restricted, um, you know, they can actually find themselves. They find a sense of peace, and they actually start to practice Krishna. And then they actually, they, they change. 
They actually change. They become really, what we say, nice people. You might say, sure. And they become caring people now instead of just uh, struggling on their own. You know, it gives a purpose in their life. Yeah, to improve themselves, the trajectory of their life, and then help others to do the same. Yeah, and that's everywhere. But we had good luck in uh, the UK. We were, we were able to go into the libraries and put full sets of Prabhupada's books in libraries. We did many programs there. But when then the, when the lockdown came, we had to stop. So, but we're going to. Uh, I hope when the main, on my next trip to, to UK, we we plan again to uh, open up the whole thing again. It's a nice field there, along with the US. Wonderful. I'm sure that such a preaching is welcome all over the world to different degree. And then as we people will come in contact with you, they'll become inspired to also uh, do preaching everywhere in the jail. Yeah, yeah. Because poor people are suffering and they're looking for something to... Well, the thing is, somebody they feel like somebody cares about them. That's very important. Because yeah. a lot of them, they're abandoned by their friends and their family, family. members. Yeah. They're person non grata, so they don't really <laughs> somehow. Um, of course, that's not everybody, but there there is a, a group who really are just lonely. The only association they get is their fellow inmates, you know, which is not very good. <laughs> oh, no, yes, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Man, I want to go a little step back. You have been many, many years in this movement, so you have seen a lot of things. You are in. In West Virginia, New Vrindama, you saw a lot of things happening there, I'm sure. And uh, you see, I wanted to ask you, how, how do you see the future of our movement? Uh, who is training the youth? Which direction we are going? How to best uh, inspire everybody to be on the message of Lord Chaitanya and, and following the instruction of Prabhupada? Well, I'm kind of like... I understand that all the different projects we're doing are all important. But training devotees to take on responsibilities in different positions, especially positions of preaching, is uh, more or less a big need in our society. And also training devotees to take on responsibilities in administration work. That's very important. And there are programs going on to do that. But I've been focusing mostly now, we have a, a project to try to establish Harinam ashrams everywhere within our society. Explain, so, what is Harinam ashram? Harinam ashram would be, well, it, there's actually an example already established in New York. There's one devotee started about 10 years ago. His name is Ray Ram, a disciple of Satsrupa. And he just, uh, he got a building, mm -hmm. and he uh, somehow or other collected a group of devotees, and their whole focus was just to do Harinam. Every day? Every day. For they how many have, hours? They live in the ashram, they do the whole morning program, they take prasadam, they go out for a couple hours in the morning, come back, and then again they go out in the evening like that and do Harinam. Mostly nice. it's sitting down in different places in New York. With the instruments. Right, everything is there. Also passing out the flyers and devotees do books around the Harinam, which is really effective. Book distribution. 
You've done that also in Slovenia, where we have the Harinam and the book distributors going out together. Nice. And when people are connected to the sound of the holy name and are approached by book distributors, they seem to be more receptive. Absolutely. So um, what, we, what, I, what we're trying to do is this Harinam Ashram. It's, it's a concept that we're starting to develop where to pattern ourselves after what New York is is to set up a, uh, an ashram with either in the temple or separate from the temple, ideally separate from the temple, and their only service would be Harinam and book distribution, and that would be an everyday thing. This is only accessible to men, no. or also men and women, also Griasta, or only Brahmachari? What's well, this? for those living in the ashram, it'll be, it'll be ashram divided like that. But the idea is that their only service is to focus on preaching, book distribution, Harinam, that's it. That's and then not to get involved with any other temple services. They need cooperation from the leaderships in the temple and support from that. But that's, that's um, second class. First class is to establish a building separate from that, which is connected to the temple where they have their own place. And then they can make their own hours. They can do everything like that. So uh, we've been doing that in Slovenia. We have, uh, we, during this whole time of the lockdown from 2020 all the way up until now, we never stopped our Harinam. Even though we were restricted as far as time was concerned, we kept Harinam going throughout the year. And because of that, our temple stayed open and many of us were able to... Uh, keep all of our pro programs. And because of that, many people came and actually became devotees. That's nice. So um, we want to do that in different places. We got a small group of people who are doing that in uh, Croatia, which is next door to Slovenia. About four or five devotees, all they do is do Harinam and book distribution. So um, my idea is to, uh, and we have a program We're working on getting funds to help support these uh, ashrams so there wouldn't be a financial burden, which could take away from the services. So, uh, we're working on actually getting money from different grants and different institutions to support this that's nice. as a humanitarian project. Very good. So that's in the process right now. So that's where I'm putting my attention on that right now, but... Along with uh, preaching, and my preaching is really centered around Prabhupada's, uh, what we say, uh, last part of his mission, establishing farm community, self-sufficiency, cow protection. Um, you like to find people who want to do that, who are farmer or want to try to become a farmer. It's well, not a hard job, but you have to kind of like it to do it. Otherwise, you have to have that adhikari because if yeah. you don't, it's pretty hard to learn it. <laughs> but um, I see this more like as the not only the future of our movement, but as Prabhupada has been preaching, the future of the world. Absolutely. He said these cities will collapse. People will run says, away to the he forests. He says, establish these farm communities. He says the cities won't last. Do we have any successful farm community around the world? Well, or many? I don't know. I think Gita Nagari in Pennsylvania, which mm -hmm. was one of the first, is doing quite well. Mm -hmm. And they get a lot of their support from doing uh, retreats from groups, 
both within ISKCON and outside of ISKCON. Yoga groups. Yeah, yoga groups and devotee groups. But they also have cows, they produce milk, and they also have a milk business where they sell milk to different temples around the area. Nice. Of course, all the way across the country. But, you know, whoever can actually plug into that. That's there, and uh, um, Vrindavan, of course. Vrindavan is a little bit differently focused. We're mostly focused on tourism and preaching and touristic and developing projects inside of Vrindavan. I'm not sure exactly where their focus is. Um, but uh, there's a lot of devotees who have places, who have farms, that, and, that actually could use some more support, They're more or less managing their farms by themselves with a few people. Not so easy. No, it's not so easy. But I mean, I Prabhupada put a lot of it, a lot of emphasis on that. I just finished a book based on this, which is really mostly Prabhupada's quotes about, you know, the importance of self-sufficiency, developing agriculture, cow protection, as the as the foundation for developing Vanashram. As he said, this is where Vanashram can well, can develop in these farm communities. But Prabhupada wanted that because he saw that our society, although we had everything spiritually, we didn't have a, a solid social foundation to engage people according to their natures and their propensities. Right. I believe also you had made an attempt to um, find qualified devotees who have a nature to be kshatriya or, you know, would you say something about that? I worked a little bit in that area back about 10 years ago. We tried to to, uh, develop, because I also saw that not only our temples, but Mostly other temples were being attacked by gundas, by fanatical groups. So I was thinking we're quite vulnerable. Now, as I travel around the world, I could see many of our temples were wide open at any time they could be. And this happened, of course, many times. Just about six months ago, three of our temples within one week period in America, I think one was... uh, the uh, temple in Washington, D.C., in Maryland. Uh, another one in that same area, Baltimore. Three temples were attacked by outside people. For what reason? Why would somebody attack I think they were just, temple? I just think they were just trying to steal something. Yeah. Because they were, you know, so when they see the, our altars, they think. It's all gold. Yeah. <laughs> gold, and of course, the deities had our dress, but. So that happened all at one time. It's interesting. Through three three attacks and within a week. So, um, and this is happening to other religious groups also are also being attacked. Yes. So, so uh, I was inspired, and we got something started with a group of devotees who have that inclination. We did some training programs. We met. We discussed it. And we we formed a small group. But somehow we, uh, we weren't able to go, go much farther. But we did get some benefit out of that. Many of the persons who were involved were connected to temples in different areas. And then they started to train and develop a security system in their own temple. Nice. 
Yeah. So uh, that's something also that I'm thinking to revive again when I get back to the West. It's very important. Nice. Yeah, it's part of Prabhupada's program for Van Ashram. He started by educating people according to Brahminical characteristics and qualities. But then he also explained that, you know, we also need to end it. We need the kshatriyas, the managers, the fighters, and we also need people who are expert in commerce, who uh, finance, and also can take care of farms, and cows, grow sure. crops. I think, I believe that Krishna consciousness is all encompassing, and then everybody is welcome to participate and contribute in whatever yeah. natural way they can. Yeah, that's the important part. That natural way is that that inspires people to give themselves when they're engaged according to their natures. All right, I wanted to ask a question because in in the early 70 or 80, the preaching in America was done through a lot of people and a lot of devotees came in. But then we see in due course of time, there is not much many devotees coming, maybe not joining full time. There's a lot of congregation, a lot of Indian people. A lot of people contribute in different ways. Why were we now able to make so many devotees like before? According to I think answer. maybe, I don't, so it's really a hard question to really give a clear answer. But I think one of the things is, is we did slow down on Harinams around yes. the world. Even today, people ask, sometimes they see us, they say, Where are you guys? <laughs> yeah, where are you guys? And, uh, of course, book distributor is still going on. Vaisheshika is really inspiring that. He goes everywhere and, and gives seminars and inspires devotees in different areas. Book distribution is still pretty good. Yes. I mean, I mean, it hasn't really diminished much since, since Prabhupada was here. But uh, Harinams are not there. And our preaching seems to have been focusing more now on the Indian communities. Why is that? Uh, it's easy preaching. <laughs> <laughs> easy harvesting. And it's also easy finances, too. <laughs> That's true. Uh, unfortunately, we sometimes neglect the local population. Uh, but um, when I go to the UK, especially in London, we, we've been doing programs with um, with yoga centers. And some of the local temples are now setting up these little, you know, like, evenings of yoga where we do give a little talk about chanting and about Krishna consciousness, keep it very simple. And then we have uh, kirtan. And then we give prasad. Nice. And, and I was there like about, yeah, about a month and a half ago. You have 50 or 60 people come for the first time. They chant, they dance, they get connected with the devotees and and then after some time, when they keep coming, then they start to learn about our process. And Prabhupada, in his last year, 1977, he said it a few times. He said, uh, we should emphasize this kirtan and prashadam distribution. Absolutely. He said, generally, people cannot understand our philosophy. <laughs> he said, we well, said... You know, introduce Krishna consciousness from that perspective, and then later on, when they become more connected, then gradually you can give them the philosophy. What was inspiring you of Srila Prabhupada when you were in his presence? And his well, his surety, his, the way he would present the, the knowledge was, was 
from a realized point of view. A lot of times these uh, yogis or people who take the position of spiritual leaders, they speak theoretically. And you can see they're not so much uh, in tune with what they say. They have some theoretical understanding. And a lot of times it's just they add their own ideas. But Prabhupada spoke from, from the words of Krishna, and he spoke with absolute, you know, surety that this is this is the way it is. <laughs> Krishna says, this is it. <laughs> you are his eternal servant, and there's no doubt about that. <laughs> he was convinced. He would convince us, yeah. So by his, by his surety, that's what really attracted me most to Prabhupada was that he was so... Uh, so clear on what he was saying. You could see there was no doubt in what he was saying was true. That's wonderful. Yeah. And then, you know, his, uh, of course, what he was saying also was amazing. Stuff that we never heard before about the spiritual world, about the material world, everything was u- unique, was like revolutionary. So yeah, in those days when Prabhupada was there, the Bhagavatams were coming out one volume at a time. And usually it wasn't one particular canto. Usually it would be one volume of a three-volume set of one canto. And then we would all get it. (laughs) Everybody wanted to read it, so we all would sometimes share. We were always waiting for Prabhupada to come out with the next volume. Wow. It was always... And I remember when I was in New Vrindavan, Prabhupada came there, and he had just released uh, Seventh Canto Part Two, Prabhupada Maharaj's instructions to his schoolmates, which is really profound knowledge. It goes really deep into the the essence of Krishna consciousness. So Prabhupada was he immediately having he just had a, the brand new copy. It came out, and he gave a class on. One of the verses from that chapter. Yeah, so I was really inspired by that talk. I still remember what Prabhupada said. It's on the tape. We're so. actually starting this project here in Mayapur with Bhakti Raghav Swami, which is the Vanashram College, which was one of Srila Prabhupada's main programs for establishing self-sufficiency Vanashram which is educating devotees according to their natures in both varna and uh, and in ashram. That's nice. So I think we should, I mean, we should kind of do that in as many places as possible. And that requires some inspiration and some qualifications for devotees. But Prabhupada's instructions on how how to lay out the whole thing is really clear. He, He spoke a lot about it. And he wanted it himself because we can remember when Prabhupada was sick and, and he was in uh, India in August, he wanted to go to the West and establish this Vanashram himself. He said, I'm going to Gita Nagri and I'm going to show you how to do it. So he left India and went to the UK and he went to London. And he stayed there for some time, but his health really deteriorated. And he wasn't able to go any farther, so he wound up going back to India, and he went to Vrindavan. But that's he, he was really strong about you know building that next part of his movement. But in order to establish a social system, along with you know establishing viable ashrams, 
there should be training in different areas. And we see people who are working at different services. It's not their service. They're just doing it because it's either available or it's needed. So Prabhupada wanted to fine-tune In 1974, he spoke about that. He said, if, the, if this chanting is Hare Krishna is so easy, why are so many people falling down? He said, now we have to establish this Vanarham. He said that in 74. And then from there, he, he started to give it more priority. In 76, in Mayapur here, because uh, a room conversation with Hari Sari Prabhu and Sachrup Maharaj, where he really laid out the whole thing. That was in February 14th, 1976, room conversation. But before that, in Vrindavan, March 14th, 1974, with Sri Dayananda Maharaj, and Maharaj was asking him a lot of questions. Prabhupada was outlining the whole project. So uh, I don't think we should kind of like slow down on other areas such as you know community development and uh, and training devotees in practicing you know Krishna God education and ashram education, but I st- I still think we should see that we are too dependent on the material society for what we need to do. Mayapur is not like that, but many of the Temples in, around the world are simply very much dependent on society for our functions, for food, for energy, for everything. And we compromise a lot of our principles in order to get things done. So what Prabhupada wanted to be develop more of a, like a microcosm of Krishna consciousness within the macrocosm of the world and, and establish that as the ideal society and then build as a society, we are too much patronizing outside ideas and programs rather than what Srila Prabhupada wanted us to do as far as developing our society. Too so, much. De- I think we're too much dependent on the secular world because it provides money. Right. I think we are, you know, getting a little bit away from Prabhupada's instructions for internal development. Too much relying on the secular world for for finances and for support. We don't. We shouldn't. We shouldn't cut ourselves off from that. But we shouldn't at the same time patronize their ideas and their programs. Absolutely. So, how you think we can inspire or correct the? Way we're going about hurrying on. <laughs> well, I think back to the essence. <laughs> Absolutely. Hurrying on, book, distribu- book distribution should always remain foremost in our preaching. Of course. And it is. Hurrying uh, I think that's where I'm focusing now to get it, try to revive it at least in as many areas we can. Because, um, you know, what's happening in the, in the secular world now, and I'm getting parts from devotees regularly, things are falling apart. Yes. You know, you know, people are, inflation is going sky high, food shortages, um, there is a lot of political unrest everywhere. So I think 
what we need to do is not somehow to try to rebuild that, but to somehow or other give them an alternative. We have to be ideal in presenting our temples and, our, of course, our, our rural communities also. Because rural can, communities can, can distance ourselves from the dependency on the secular world. And Prabhupada said that. He said it over and over again. He said, he said in 1973, he said in 50 years, this whole Western society will collapse. Wow. He said it. It's on tape. It's on video. Yes. He said it a few times. And it's already happening. So, um, yeah, so Prabhupada wanted us to become more self-sufficient, more internal. But at the same time, continue with our preaching and reach out to others. Because it's our duty to, to preach Krishna consciousness, to give people a chance to uh, to come to something better. <laughs> a lot, and the preaching is really quite good now in the sense that people are more open to what we have. I saw that even during the during the last two years during the lockdown. Krishna consciousness is a solution to all the problems. Yeah, internally we have to develop community. Externally, we have to continue with our preaching programs. And we have to educate the devotees to be ideal representative of Srila Prabhupada's movement. So people will be attracted to the devotees as being ideal persons who actually care about people. And we do. We're not just there to preach as a service, but because we want to bring people into Krishna consciousness and help them stop their suffering. We had a very successful program in, <clears throat> in the UK on the 24th of September, just a month and a half ago, where there's one devotee who is, um, his name is Parasaram. Mm. He's doing food for all, which is, he's been feeding people in the city. And he has a, he had a building and he's feeding 5,000 people a day. Wow. But <clears throat> somehow or other, finances started to run out. And he lost the building. So we started a, a march. And uh, on the 24th, we did a real big march. And we invited anyone to come in. And half of the people who came on the march were people from the secular world. They came to the temples. I gave a lecture and we were speaking about the importance of food distribution. Food distribu we didn't talk about too much about prashada, but food distribution. Yeah. And our goal was to raise money to get a building so he could continue his program. And we got a lot of support. Nice. And right now we're trying to finalize that to see if we can uh, get a big donation so we can buy a building. And then he wants to go up to 20,000 people a day. Purity is the force. In other words, we shouldn't have our own personal motivations. We should try to simply try to assist Prabhupada in spreading Krishna consciousness. That's our main goal. And that's glorious. That's glorious for the devotees. The devotees will get the mercy of Krishna and qualify themselves to. Any other project you'd like to speak about, Marat, to inspire the listener today? The three things that I'm working, still doing, I'm just beginning this uh, Harinam Ashram. And I just did a book on farm communities and Prabhupada's vision for self-sufficiency in Vanarshram. It's uh, in the process of being printed now. Um, and, and I hope to get back into 
more active uh, jail preaching. Nice. Would you like to tell us how people can contact you or get your book or get your 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 connection with you? Let's say somebody's interested, they want to be connected with you and help you in this doing this strategic preaching to the prison house or the farm or whatever you're doing. Is there any way they can reach you through I don't know, WhatsApp or Facebook or website? <laughs> well, I I am on you know, on some of these social medias, but okay. it's managed by some of my disciples. Sure. Which is, I'm on, I'm on YouTube, WhatsApp, um, also on... Uh, Facebook? Facebook, yes. And people and, can just uh, type your name, is only the Chandra Swami. I also have a, website, oh, have a website, too. Oh, you have a website. It's cmswami.com. Marad, also I'd like to ask you about... Uh, because you are one of the guru uh, of ISKCON, therefore you have also access to train people. And I saw you have a, a pro program of mentorship. People want to become your disciple, then you have to find somebody who's close to your area who can become a mentor to you and understand what level you are, and then he connect to you, and then he can be accepted as a disciple. You'd like to say something about this because I think it's very inspirational for people. It's interesting because when the lockdown came in March of 2020, I started a daily Zoom call, which is still going on today. Nice. Every day we... And since then, many people have come on and got involved in our, our programs, which is, I mean, I just preach different topics, mostly from Bhagavatam. And people have come and actually became disciples through that program, many. Nice, nice. So um, it's a Zoom call. I uh, I don't I don't even know the link. Of course. <laughs> But I can, uh, I, can, I can give you the information where you can make it public if you want. Sure. I'd have to contact my disciple. But let me ask you, how do you choose your mentors, for example? Mentor, uh, I don't manage the mentor system. Okay, who manages that? We have, we have two devotees, one who manages the ladies and one who manages the men. Mm -hmm. They're the overall people, and then we have a system of mentorship underneath that. One senior devotee will have three or four people working under them, and there they'll be, they'll monitor their spiritual practice, their spiritual progress. And then there's a accountability program where they have to come up to a certain standard. And uh, so these devotees who do that, they're like shiksha gurus. Right. They, But you assess them. Well, they report to me. Right. And then once they report to me, then I, I hear the reports and I give my feedback based on what they say. Okay. But I don't get directly involved. They do everything. I just kind of over... I just see what they're doing and give advice when I'm at, when they ask me. Well, let's say one disciple has a question, personal question to you. And he has to go through the mentor or he can directly approach you. Well, we suggest that if he can get the question answered on the mentor level, that's fine. If they if they want to approach me, then there's no no restriction. Yeah, and they can do it by email or WhatsApp. 
Because in the ancient Vedic system, we have an ashram where people live with a guru and a serve and they eat together, they sleep together. <laughs> that was a training which was going on. But now because the spiritual master are traveling around the world, they are not locating one particular place. So this system of mentorship looked like a very successful, I should say. Yeah, there's many, there many uh, devotees who have it really developed. I'm just, I'm just quite small and relationship to what's going on, but many of the gurus have a whole wide world system really nicely in place. Nice. And, it, it, you know, you can work it in different ways. Yeah, the idea is to, have, is to have someone available who you can report to, who you can get advice from, questions answered, get some help. Uh, in relation to the future of Visco, now we have how many guru? 50, 60, I don't know how many guru we have. Oh, more than that. More than that, 100, yeah. let's say. About 100, yeah. Okay, so, but let's say in another 20, 30, 40 years, these guru are gone because of age. So who will be the next future generation who will become guru? There's a question which maybe in the mind of youth. Education. <clears throat> Education, yes. We need that. For people to come up to the standard of taking on the responsibility of doing that. Because basically education and those who are actually using spiritual education to preach. Because a person becomes somewhat visible when they are out there preaching. And then others become inclined to that person and... They want that person as their spiritual master. Just like yesterday, I heard about one devotee took initiation from one of my god brothers who I didn't even know was a spiritual master mm -hmm. until I found out yesterday. <laughs> and so I think that there's new people coming on board. Is there a system for, for bringing people up to that standard? That's very good. I also personally feel like there should be many Siksha Guru. Because all the temple presidents who are cultivating the congregation, who are directly in dealing with them, you can say the Siksha Guru or mentor, whatever you want to call them, they're, they're the people who are trained. Before you, you become initiated, you're already chanting 16 right. rounds for one year. It's not that you're receiving initiation the first time I saw you. So definitely these people should be empowered to or recognized to be either mentor or Siksha Guru or whatever you want to call it, if they are up to the standard where we, yeah. we can set up, because then only we can spread this Christian consciousness. Yeah, there's also a program for training people to come to that standard where they can become mentors for others. We call a mentorship training period for, for, for mentors. Yeah. Okay. That was established really nicely both by... Uh, Ranjan Swami and Radhanath Swami in their different areas. And you think this is accessible for all the guru or for all the devotees of Visco? Oh, yeah. Okay. There I are courses going on on this? I think it's within the atras that the training is. Okay. It could be done in a broader sense also. Maybe we should do that because if it's only restricted to some guru, then yeah. you know, it should be brought. But another thing I'd like to say about that is that when people... Uh, connect with a person who, although they're initiated by a spiritual master, they want to take on a, uh, another person to guide them, a shikshu guru. It should be something that is a commitment and not just something, say, ad hoc, just comes, comes and goes. 
No, otherwise you can jump like a butterfly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, then you don't, you know, if you, then you might just pick and choose what you like and don't do what you don't. Yeah, maybe the spiritual master with a guru can direct, okay, you take, you know, six, are you taking, you know, connection with this devotee yeah. so that you can see that how you're doing and then you get inspiration. Yeah, some, there were some senior devotees who wanted to formalize shiksha within our society like we have formal diksha. And that will connect people in a more regularly way and then they can get, you know, it almost it's almost as good, it is as good as their own spiritual master. Absolutely. And they can be, they can be, uh, what we, what's the word? They can be committed to that. They can get guidance from that. <clears throat> In fact, our parampara is connected to section, not through tradition right. only, <laughs> if I'm correct. <laughs> you are, yeah. Yeah, because diksha and shiksha, as mentioned in the Shastras, are two equal aspects of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So it, generally, those who receive shiksha, that person becomes their diksha. Thank you so much, Maharaj, for coming here today. And uh, we will... Uh, Say Hari Bol and Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Thank, Thank you very you much, Ganga Prabhu. Hare Krishna. My obeisance is Hari Bol. You're listening to Radio Mayapur with the best devotional, meditation, kirtan music, and inspirational podcast. This is Radio Mayapur.